JM in the AM. Before I uh, introduce our Ibamberger to everybody, let me remind you that all of our Ibamberger's books are on special this week at theartscroll.com. In order, Rabbi Bamberger has presented over the years the following. Uh, great Jewish letters, great Jewish speeches, great Jewish wisdom, great Jewish treasures, great Jewish classics, and great Jewish photographs. These were all in advance of the most recent work, Great Jewish Journeys to the Past, a spiritual travel guide to Kivrate Sadikim and Torah landmarks around the world. And those of you out there, again, who want to save on any of Rabbi Bamberger's works, including this brand new one, Great Jewish Journeys, go to artscroll.com. This week and this week only, it is uh, 15% off. Anything by Rabbi Bamberger is 15% off. Uh, no minimum free shipping with promo code Radio. With that in mind, I remind everybody that Rabbi Moshe Bamberger, a respected scholar and educator, has enthralled thousands of readers with his books on great Jewish letters, speeches, photographs, classics, and artifacts. Now he uses his rare talent of capturing a person, an era, or a, a historical event through a brief story or evocative photograph to bring to life the greatest people and epics of Jewish history. Great Jewish Journeys includes hundreds of of photographs, artifacts, postcards, and artwork. It provides fascinating facts and stories about each destination. In addition, of course, uh, to all these works, Rabbi Bamberger is the Mashkiach Ruchani at the Lander College for Men in Queens, New York. Rabbi Moshe Bamberger, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. How are you? Baruch Hashem, doing well. Nice to have you on. Um, you know, it's funny doing this in the context of all your other work, because as a standalone, it would seem that this, the uh, Great Jewish Journeys, uh, is a, um, a, a, a is a uh, a work that is based on the Kivrei Tzadikim, is based on the um, uh, the resting place of so many uh, greats from our history. But when you put it into the context of what you've done already with letters and speeches and classics and treasures, I'm assuming that these kvarim and these photos are just a conduit uh, to um, enlighten people when it comes to important figures and periods of time in Jewish history. Do I have that right? That is perfectly correct, Nachum. <laughs> what I try to do from the onset with this with series is to present Gedele Yisrael from different angles. We've known them through their biographies. We've known them through their uh, scholarship, through their svarim that they've written. But uh, I wanted to find different ways of looking at them and trying to get a, an up-close glimpse at exactly who these amazing tzaddikim and tzaddikim were. So the first book, and actually you interviewed me many years ago, I don't know if you remember, but I do, um, <laughs> on Great Jewish Letters, uh, that was the letters of Sadiqim, uh, letters of Gedalim that they wrote uh, either for important historical reasons or personal reasons, and those letters gave us a very unique and personal view of, of these people, uh, and that was very well received, Baruch Hashem. Uh, from there we went on to, other, uh, to look at Gedalim from other points of view, such as their speeches, uh, their wisdom, which is a smaller book of quotes of Gedalim, very short, captivating quotes set on a beautiful photography. Treasures, which is my personal favorite, uh, was the artifacts of Gedalim, seeing them through 
the objects that they owned uh, and looking at history from those uh, those are unique artifacts. Uh, classics, of course, there's Sarum. It's a great resource to be able to understand the Gedalim through the Sarum that they authored. The Photographs uh, is also a very popular book. It's smaller in size, but it goes through uh, the important major photographs and some unknown photographs yeah. of Gedalim with a story and being able to look at them from that perspective. You know, it's funny. Yesterday, I, I have the photographs in my hand, literally. And yesterday, I mentioned, of all of them that we were talking about, I mentioned the photographs book because, there. first of all, I, I, I think the rarity of some of these photos, as you just pointed out, is remarkable. I mean, the, there's so many pictures of really well-known Torah personalities that you include that we've never seen, or at least I think the average person hasn't seen. So that's pretty cool. Right. But in addition to that, I think when you have a book called Great Jewish Photographs, you can get away with, I say that respectfully, you can get away with printing certain pictures that likely wouldn't get into a regular biography. Do you know what I mean by that? Yes. So yes. you've done that, and that's what makes this book, Great Jewish Photographs, yet another reason why it's so valuable. Now, you got to humor me for a minute. Some of my friends make fun of me about this because there is a fascination, I think that's the right word, if you want to use a stronger word, you can, uh, with Kivrei Tzadikim and traveling there and davening there, which I totally understand and value, although I do always say that it's likely better or, or, or a more enhanced experience in the bigger picture to be at a place like Marat our true avot, and, uh, and daven there, or I think we are encouraged by our halachic decisors, and you could tell me if I'm right or wrong, that of all of the places to daven, when it comes to resting places, those of our own relatives, those of our own predecessors, are likely even more important uh, than even all the ones you have in this book. Am I, am I, am I painting the right picture with that? Yes, I, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, the book, I just wanted to expand it a little bit more broadly, it's not simply a book of Kibbutz Tzadikim. It's also a book of Torah landmarks. Right. So that means that if you're traveling, you know, Kaviyacho, these days we don't know what that is anymore, <laughs> but hopefully we will again soon. Uh, you know, if you're traveling to any place in the world, it's not just that you're traveling to Kibbutz Tzadikim. There might be a base medrash of, let's say, the Baal Shem near the Kever of the Baal Shem. Right. And there might be different uh, fascinating places to go, and I include all of that in the book, including um, the Kaisal HaMarabi in Eretz Yisrael, and the Maris HaMachpela, and Kevaracha on their own. The the thrust of the book is Kibre Tzadikim, but I do have special sections of the landmarks. But as far as what uh, you were saying, I I agree with you a thousand percent that, you know, if you could go to the Avis, the the Kvarim of the Avis in in Maris HaMachpela, and in Kevaracha, of course, that is uh, that is primary, um, and of course, if you have deceased relatives that uh, you want to visit, their chosim are definitely uh, standing. Whoever visits them in good stead, but you know, Rabbi Nassim Sherman Shlita, who wrote the overview, uh, he basically gives us a glimpse into what the importance of visiting Kibbutz Tzadikim is on the whole. And he points out something very interesting, that besides for the fact that when you daven there, the schos of the tzaddikim stands you in good stead, um, but there's also an element of, like it says by Kalev, that haisaruach acheres imai, that when he went to the Maris Machpelah, right. he actually took with him 
this chos of the tzaddikim, like he took a piece of them, as it were, with him. Right. And that, that's what happens every time we visit a kever of a tzaddik, is that we're able to sort of take a part of their greatness and their holiness and their uniqueness with us. So the book tries to not just um, tell us where the kever is, and, but, but also to give us unique perspective on that on perhaps the end-of-life story involved, or something interesting about the Matseva that caught my eye, or some, some takeaway that every single person could really be inspired by. Uh, Ray Moshe Bamberger is with us. Yeah, point well taken. I just I sometimes get frustrated, maybe too strong of a word, uh, uh, people who are mocked to go to certain uh, uh, resting places and, and, and might ignore their own families, but that's just a, a personal thing, and I, I think you, you would agree that we should encourage people to, uh, uh, to certainly uh, visit their own relatives whenever possible. Um, one, of the, one of the benefits, and, you know, honestly, I mean, I, I, I say this with the greatest respect, and that is that um, all, only a real investment in a book like this, and I'm talking about financial, um, can produce this type of work. The photographs, the way the pages are, uh, the the coffee table book feel, not to minimize it, because this is not one of those coffee table books that will never be looked at. This is a, a book that'll be, uh, you know, that, that, that'll, uh, that people will find very, very interesting. Uh, but there's a certain look and depth to it, especially the pictures, uh, that make it stand out. I mean, am I right that in order to make this as appealing as it is, one has to make a real investment to get it all right between the photographs and the book itself? Absolutely. And that's where the genius and the vision of Rabbi Meir Zlatowicz, the Chetadik Levrach, really must be mentioned in the context of this series. Uh, when I came to him, I think it was in 2008, uh, with this idea, I had already written other books with Arts Girl on Howell and on Shevabracha, so we knew each other. But I came with this idea based on a shear that I had been giving in Lander College that year of the letters of Gedalim. And he uh, said that, you know, it's so funny that I should come to him with that idea because he always wanted himself to produce such a book on the Igris and the Ksavim of Gedalim Yisrael. So it was a, like it was a great shidduch right away. And then we discussed further the way the book should be presented. And he agreed with me, or maybe I agreed with him, I don't know. Uh, I can't remember anymore so well. But we basically came to the consensus that the only way to produce a book like this would be to do it right, which means to try to do it in full color, to get as many original letters, in the case of the letters book, um, that we can, and try to put as many pictures of G'daylem into the book, and to make the whole layout with a certain sense of of, of Kavit and Tisaris, which was really yeah. the hallmark of, of Rabbi Zlatowitz and Arts Girl Bechlau, that, you know, whatever they do, they do right. But these books in particular, really, they went full force with them. And, you know, you just have to see it. You know, even if you don't want to buy it, just go into a farm store or a library and just leaf through it and see all of the work that went into making it and all of the pictures and how they were enhanced and they were colorized mm -hmm. and, and the lengths that we went to to produce these books is not to be believed. 
Um, you go through, I mean, there are some obvious places <laughs> that have to be covered when you're talking about Jewish history, and especially Jewish history that you want to bring out uh, through the uh, uh, through these holy places. Uh, so uh, aside from Israel, and we'll get to some of the places uh, of um, important, there's so many important places in Israel, we'll get to some of those coming up. But you have to include, obviously, uh, the Ukraine, Belarus, and Lithuania, Hungary. Everyone in this audience understands why. Uh, but also you have to do some research when it comes to Egypt and Morocco and Czechoslovakia and France. Uh, I mean, were some of these countries or some of the information you were looking for more difficult to obtain or some of the photos more difficult to obtain than others? Uh, yes, some of them were. Uh, but Baruch Hashem, I had a lot of siyata deshmaya and a lot of heavenly divine assistance along the way with all of my books. Uh, you know, I could tell you many stories about how there was Hashem's hand guiding me at every step, finding things just when I needed them or bumping into the right people that connected me to other people. And, you know, clearly you know, this was something that was Lamayla Minateba. It's not something that I could fathom ever doing on my own. I, I know that 99, if not 100 percent of it was all from above. Unbelievable. Um, just uh, on a personal note, uh, because I can never resist <laughs> the personal notes when it comes to uh, my parents. You write about Rabaria Levin, and I've been there many, many times in the Sanhedria Cemetery in Yerushalayim because my parents are two graves away from Rabaria Levin. And, uh, and the reason they are there is because my father's wish was to be buried as close to him as possible uh, because of what he remembered of him from his youth in Jerusalem. And uh, if you remember, and I know it's not fair to put you on the spot because you have hundreds of, of, di- of different tombstones in the book, but if you remember what was written specifically on Rabari Levin's tombstone, that was significant? Of course. That's, that's one of the uh, – I'm happy you brought that one up because that puts into focus really the whole book. Uh, he insisted that on his tombstone be written the animamen about Tchias HaMesim. That I, and he said that everyone that comes to his grave should say it should verbalize this particular animamin b'munashalema, shatiyat chiyat hamesim be'shatalarot and mesa barisbarach, that there will be tchiyat hamesim. And the simple reason why he wanted that on his tombstone was because he wanted to give chizuk to people that were coming to visit him, and presumably they were in the, 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 the cemetery because either they wanted to visit their own relatives or that they had a tzara, some sort of uh, difficult period that they were going through that they wanted to come to his grave, to Davin. So this was intended to give chizuk to those people that were in mourning or were in difficult circumstances, that you should know that there will be another day, and tomorrow will come and Tchiyas HaMesim will arrive, and you will be able to once again embrace those departed that you love. And that's the simple explanation. I wanted to add in my book, and I did, like a chiddish almost, in why he put that particular um, phrase on his his epitaph. And that is because that was who he was. Rabbi Ariel Levine was somebody that was Mechaia Mason. He himself breathed life into everyone that he met, whether it was in a leper hospital, whether it was prisoners that were in a British prison during the, uh, you know, during the period that the British were controlling Eretz Yisrael. And whoever it was, it didn't matter their political affiliation, whether they were religious or not religious yet, he was so embracing and so loving and so caring that he was a, a figure that was universally, lo- universally loved, 
And because of that, I think that was like a huha ya'aymer. That was a defining an imamin that really described his life. He was somebody that gave he revived the dead. Whoever was was disheartened and depressed and crushed, he was able to breathe life and happiness into. And so that was really a defining moment, uh, a defining um, statement of his life to whoever came to his grave. Unbelievable. In fact, you write, during the Six-Day War, an adored young soldier who was engaged to be married died in battle. The loss to his family was deep and traumatic. The only comfort they were able to achieve was when they visited the grave of Rabbi Levin as they read these holy words engraved on his tomb, reminding them that their profound loss is only temporary. They felt a sense of calm and comfort. Pretty amazing. Um, And um, you include in the book... I should say, I mean, obviously some of the, me at least, you know, some of the people you write about in the book I had not heard of, uh, but you don't, it's not just Torah Giants that you are uh, uh, pointing out. You also have a, uh, you have stories of uh, of those who've made great sacrifices for Torah values. Uh, Sulika Hachuel, if I have that pronounced correctly, it's an amazing yeah. story about the sanctity of a Jewish woman. She's buried in Fez, and that would be a grave worthwhile visiting. Uh, and praying there because of the sacrifice that she made in order to preserve Torah values. And, and many people do make a special trip to Fez, Morocco, just to Davin by her kever. She was a, a martyr that uh, died al Kiddush Hashem of the highest order. She made a, a public uh, al Kiddush Hashem. She was a beautiful young Jewish girl who uh, one of the Arabs in the, in the local area saw her, fell in love with her, and wanted her to marry him and to, of course, convert first to Islam. And, uh, of course, she refused, and ultimately um, she caught the eye after all this, uh, you know, this terrible uh, chaos that ensued. She caught the eye of a prince of of Morocco, and he wanted to marry her as well, and, and he offered her anything that she would want just to marry him. And she refused, and they publicly uh, um, killed her, and uh, and they were able to uh, get her remains and bury them there. And people say that if they you daven by that particular kever, you see tremendous Yeshuas, because you know she sacrificed so much, and she made such a public kiddush Hashem that there's great holiness at that site. Unbelievable. Are you related to the Rabbi Bamberger that you mentioned in the book? Yes, that's my great great grandfather. Wow! Very proud. Of, very proud of our Yichus. That's uh, he was known as the Wurzburger Rav, Rabbi Yitzchok Dov Halevi Bamberger. He was uh, one of the Gedolei Hadar in Germany, and uh, he was a contemporary of Rav Shmuel Hirsch and the Aruch uh, And uh, yeah, he was a tremendous Adam Gadol, and uh, that was my father's great grandfather. His his son was my father's grandfather. Uh, took over. He was a successor in the city of Würzburg, and they're buried outside of the, not in the actual city of Würzburg, but in a small cemetery in a little hamlet off of Würzburg called Hirschberg. And that's significant because he did not want to be buried in the main cemetery in Würzburg because there was some Chol Shabbos that was taking place in the building of something in the cemetery. And he said, if that continues, he will not be buried there. And it continued, and he insisted that after he died, he would be buried in Hirschberg and not in Würzburg. And the interesting thing is that during the uh, when the Allies bombed Würzburg, they bombed out the entire 
cemetery, the Jewish cemetery of Würzburg, so his remains would not have been there. And because he was, uh, he insisted on being buried in Hirschberg, uh, people to go and visit him until today. Unbelievable. Um, people have an opportunity to really learn about our heritage, to learn where we come from, because often we only uh, emphasize the fact that uh, that these greats, uh, you know, rightfully spent their day, uh, you know, studying Talmud and, and studying the holy works. And sometimes we forget uh, some of the amazing things that they did in terms of leadership, uh, in terms of setting examples, in terms of little tidbits that you include that uh, uh, normally would be overlooked or wouldn't really make the headlines, so to speak. Uh, but they end up becoming really important in terms of understanding uh, just who preceded us. Uh, and it's wonderful that you brought those uh, uh, to the forefront. Um, what, what can you tell me about the will of Rav Rafal Hirsch? How did you obtain that, or is that just public information and, and it's something that's been circulated many times? No, that's not public information. It, uh, I actually found the original will in somebody, a descendant of Rav Hirsch, who lives in Bensonhurst today. Um, I went to his home and uh, came up with, he all of a sudden he pulled out this will, and uh, it was in perfect condition. I mean, there's still some, you know, there's some tape marks on it and stuff, but it was uh, in pristine condition, and it's an absolutely historic will, because he writes to his children something that I think, you know, all parents really would love to convey, but of course, he had such a poetic pen that uh, he did it in a way that was... uh, unparalleled. And he said that, you know, your mother, who had already died, and myself, uh, we had such tremendous nachas from all of our children, uh, and each one of you have Baruch Hashem followed in our footsteps and have have continued in, in the derech of Torah and the derech of Hashem, which wasn't so simple back in the day of, you know, when reform was so dominant. But right. he said that the one thing that I request of all of you on behalf of your mother and myself is that after we die, please maintain peace and harmony between all of the siblings. I want that's, That would be the ultimate gift that you could give us if you would just promise to maintain. Because sometimes when parents are alive, that keeps the children sort of in line. But after they depart, you know, things happen. There are tensions that arise. And so he was so prescient, and he was able to see into the future and understand that if he doesn't command us, then it's very possible that that might occur. And he said that that was my one last will and testament, just that there should be peace and harmony amongst all of our descendants. And uh, that's often the case where uh, that's the last will of many who pass away. Um, their their request of the next generation doesn't always work out that way, but uh, there's no question that does emphasize just how important to peace and tranquility between brothers and sisters, in fact, is. All right, Moshe Bamberger is with us. I remind everybody that this week, 15% off, no minimum free shipping on all of our Moshe Bamberger's works, including the brand new one, Great Jewish Journeys to the Past, a spiritual travel guide to Kivrate Sadiqim and Torah landmarks around the world. Give me one more. Give me give me one more uh, epitaph. Give me one more uh, um, uh, um, uh, uh, um, tombstone. Uh, of note that you would like to point out uh, and mention to our listeners as an inspiring one? Okay. Um, my father is a friend of Racha, um, and all of my relatives, my uncles, my grandparents, they're all uh, interred in a, in a cemetery in Clifton, New Jersey, uh, in the section of the Broyers community, the Kaladas Yishurin in Washington Heights, the famous Broyers community. And, of course, the leaders of Broyers was Rebroyer, 
and Rav Shimon Schwab. Right. And Rav Schwab has a uh, very simple tombstone, and it just says who he was, where he was Rav before, you know, in Germany and in Baltimore, and then ultimately in Kaladesi Shur in Washington Heights. And he says that, uh, and then, and the shame Imai Hanna, he says his you know, father's name, and then he mentions his mother's name was Hanna. And then there's sort of like a, um, like a, a highlighted uh, pasuk on the bottom of the kever. And if you look in the paper, it's all the way at the end, and I put a very clear picture of it. And it says as follows, there's a pasuk in Mishle that says, if you try to cover up your sins, you will never succeed. But if you confess to them and you abandon them, then Hashem will have mercy on you. Very strange that Rav Schwab would put that pasuk of all psukim on his epitaph, like as if there was a message that he was trying to send, but it's a very cryptic message, because what does that mean? Rav Schwab was at Sadiq Yisrael, is he somehow like confessing his own sins? Uh, that's doubtful. Like, why would he, you know, what would, uh, what would the, the message be? So I inquired and I asked his sons, and what they told me is that we don't really know why he put that on his grave, but we have a hunch as to why, what he might have intended, and that is that whenever we did anything in life, whether, you know, every, every time we, we messed up or we sinned or we did something that disappointed him, his, his reaction always was, face the music. Don't try to hide and obfuscate and get around it and, and circumvent and, and, and bury you. Try to really, you know, face up and fess up and deal with it up front. Own, own the situation, own up to the problem. And that's the way you should deal with it. Don't try to get around anything. And, you know, just face, face the problem, admit that you did something wrong, do tshuva, ask the person for mechila, or ask Hashem for mechila, and then move on happily. And he said, and they told me that that's why they believe that their father put that on the grave, wow. because that's really what this Pasuk is telling you, that don't try to hide your sins, don't try to, you know, to, to avoid it, Rather, own up to it. You will find people will be forgiving, but all you have to do is confess. You know, like we find in today's inauguration day, and, you know, we don't want to bring politics necessarily into this discussion, but, you know, they, they say that it's not, the, it's not the sin, it's the cover-up. Right. It's not the crime, it's the cover-up. Right. Sometimes, you know, you do a crime, we're human beings, we have, our, we have our weaknesses, we have our moments that we sin, and that's all part of the design of a human being, but it's how we respond after that. How do you, do you try to cover it up, or do you try to, you know, to just confess and say, I did something wrong, and I apologize. And people are very forgiving, and Hashem is very forgiving, but it's very important in life that when we do something wrong, we own the situation, and we were able to tackle it robustly, and that way we could move on and feel proud of who we are fully. One could uh, give Musser from the grave, huh? Literally by what's written Absolutely. in their tombstone. Oh, that's really what the book is all about. Unbelievable. Really incredible. By the way, I'm just curious. <laughs> when you uh, visited Harmanuchot, did you ever see the uh, uh, the grave of Rav Shlomo Kalbach? I did. Yeah, I, 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 I asked because I only say it because that's one of those tombstones with a lot of information on it. You mentioned earlier some have few words, others have a tremendous amount written. That's one that has a tremendous amount written, and uh, his yeah, his fault. Fo- a lot written, and it also has 
you know, that a special place for candles right. you know, that are really primarily reserved for the biggest gedalim. They put one up there, and there's probably more candles there than, you know, than <laughs> many of the others on, on Hamanucho. So, yeah, it's, it's really uh, it's quite a—I remember being by his Leviah. Um, it was up by the Karlbach Shul in Manhattan, yeah. and uh, I remember people were singing his songs as they were being Malava the Mace. It was yeah. quite a— Quite an incredible personality. I uh, I was there uh, along with you that day. Uh, right, Moshe Bamberger. In addition to um, uh, to the book, I just wanted to mention that uh, we uh, when I introduced you, I said that you are Mashkiach Ruchani at the Lander College for Men, and we've gotten to know a lot about the Turo and Lander over the last few weeks, including yesterday when um, uh, Dean Marion uh, Stoltz Loiki was with us from the Lander uh, College uh, for Women. Is is um, is it di- is it different? Being a mashkiach ruchani in a Zoom era, much different, much different. <laughs> it's uh, I, we try to we try to make it as as normal as possible, but you know it's pretty impossible to do that. Uh, Zoom is actually a very powerful tool, and I think that you know there ha- there there will be uses for it after the COVID era era as well. You know we've learned a lot about society at large and about how we how we like functioning, and, and I think, you know, society will shift fundamentally because of what we've learned throughout COVID. But I'll tell you, like, an example that somebody just told me the other day. I get a lot of calls about Shiduchim being in Lander College for Men. Um, you know, I try to dabble in it myself a little, but uh, a woman called me from Toronto, and she told me that, you know, her her children, she had two children that got engaged, and one is getting married soon, and it all took place because of because of Zoom, you know, and I found that also with a few of my Talmudim, that they never would have necessarily gone out with certain girls because they were out of town, you know, who wants to schlep to uh, right. Detroit or to California or, or to Mexico if you're sitting in New York and you have uh, thousands of girls in the tri-state area, but suddenly because of Zoom, it sort of was the great equalizer, and people, you know, you read a shidduch to somebody, and it's okay, sure, why not? It's just a, it's just a Zoom call, and uh, and a lot of times it clicks, and so I think shidduchim will be fundamentally changed uh, after the COVID era, era even, and uh, and definitely chinuch, there might be opportunities to, you know, to zoom shiurim into places that uh, that are not normally accessible. So in terms of chinuch, it's definitely, definitely a very pale comparison to live, normal uh, opportunities to teach in a classroom setting. But I do think that there are a lot of uh, a lot of wonderful elements to Zoom as well. Rabbi Moshe Bamberger, Mashkiach Ruchani at the Lender College for Men. He is author of uh, Great Jewish Letters, Great Jewish Speeches, Great Jewish Wisdom, Great Jewish Treasures, Great Jewish Classics, Great Jewish Photographs, and now Great Jewish Journeys to the Past, a spiritual travel guide to Kivrei Tzadikim and Torah Landmarks around the world. You have to check out uh, the words and photos in this book, everybody. Very valuable, an amazing way for people of all ages to learn so much about Jewish history from one book. Right, Bamberger, congratulations. Mazel tov on the book. It is really remarkable. We'll continue to recommend it. And uh, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Abnach. I just want to just thank you. I know that everybody, you know, loves you and appreciates you, but it's important that personally that I, I share with you, I guess, as a shliach tzibor, how much you mean to call Yisrael. And you you give so much in terms of chizuk and Israel and avas Yisrael and, 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 and music. And all that you do for call Yisrael is really 
you deserve so much credit for the wonderful generation that's being produced. Uh, and I think you, you, you're owed a lot of Hakar Safed. I, I can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for that. Rai Bamberger, uh, continued success. And again, Mazal Tov on the book. Thank you, Reb Nachum. Be well. Rabbi Moshe Bamberger. I, I have goosebumps from what he just said, frankly, and I thank him, and I'm somewhat speechless, frankly. Right, Moshe Bamberger, um, all of his works, all of his books, and I'm telling you, one is better than the next. The photographs, and I hear what he says, that our Mayor's Lottowitz of Blessed Memory had so much influence on the way these books would be presented. A lot of people wouldn't, uh, honestly, a lot of people wouldn't look at these books if the pictures and the format was not as beautiful as it is. That's, that's the reality. And it's so appealing. It's just incredible. So appealing. Um, anyway, anything w- written by Rabbi Bamberger, uh, 15% off, no minimum, free shipping this week and this week only from artscroll.com when you use promo code radio. You must use promo code radio. I've been telling you for months how valuable that promo code is. Please <laughs> always remember to put it in when you're on artscroll.com. Uh, but now you'll save even more on all of Rabbi Bamberger's works. So do so and enjoy.